All right, here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it has everything that I need. All right. Matthew chapter 2 today. Um, I hope that you did think a lot about last week's lesson. I mean, let's face it. It was, I mean, you can't help but look at the genealogy of Jesus and know what he, why he came and for whom he came. And I mean, that, that genealogy is made up of every kind of people and uh, how, how forgiveness and, and how salvation and how Jesus' whole purpose is seen in that genealogy. And, and then I, I, I hope that you have thought about um, Imar Dahan and his revel, revelation kind of about not only the virgin birth being that, that Mary did not know a man before, and she didn't know, she didn't um, have any rela- physical relations with Joseph until after Jesus was born. I mean, I think we all kind of knew that, but still, you know, how could pure blood still be in a human being? Even though Mary had a beautiful heart, yet she was a human being conceived in sin, just like you and I. And so how could that blood sacrifice of Jesus be pure enough? You know, how could it be? And then that's why this medical doctor, he being a preacher and a medical doctor, found that it is so true the way that blood comes into um, a, a baby. I mean, it's just so remarkable. So being that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that blood is pure. And I loved the way it ended last week when, when we read his last line when he said, and there's never been any blood like it since. So it is so um, pure. It was sufficient sacrifice. Um, so you never have to look at Calvary and think, well, did it work? Oh, yeah, it worked. And he only had to do it once. And God accepted that sacrifice for us. So we have all the confidence in the world that we can go to the cross. The blood is shed and it will cover us and our sins are forgiven. And and now we are looked upon by God as pure and blameless because we are wearing the white robe of righteousness this morning. That is amazing. The only way we could have gotten to the throne of grace this morning is because we had the right clothes on. And only that comes from Jesus' blood. Um, I do have to say that I had a question last week. I mean, I was really, I mean, I went at it. I know I did. And... Uh, but I don't ever, because someone said, I have little children, grandchildren, you know, and, and what about, you said that if we don't go to the cross, then we will go to hell, and, and that is a true statement, but what about those little babies, what about those little children, and, and you know, when you know the character of God, do you think he's, yes, he's just and, and he's fair, he's all of that. And that's why we know that when he comes back again, when Jesus comes back again, he will right every wrong and he will make everything right. But when it comes to children that have never even had a chance to understand right from wrong, um, I cannot even believe for one second that God would just snatch them to himself 
And so, um, but, the, but the severity is, is that there, is, there comes a time in every child that you, you get to an age of accountability. And when you start knowing the difference between right and wrong, it's kind of like last week with Rahab. You know, they all heard the news. All the, all the, the town of Jericho or heard about God and how he had separated the Red Sea and how, how Moses had led them from Egypt. And they, they knew the story. Everybody heard it. You think it was just Rahab? Everybody heard it. But, but Rahab, this is where you could see the choice. You think, why would God destroy that whole town of Jericho? Because whenever you choose not to believe it or seek it or desire it, he can see that. Rahab had a little mustard seed of faith, but that's all that was needed, and God saw it. And then look what happens. She's incorporated into the Israelite family. She marries an Israelite man. They have a son named Boaz. And we even pictured last week her talking to her son, Boaz, saying, i got to tell you what I once was and what, what God did for me. And all of that comes from just a mustard seed of faith. And then for Boaz to grow up to be such a righteous man, to look at Ruth the Moabite and have a longing for her. This is all part of the way God works, but believe me, it's serious. And even when we look at our children and our grandchildren, they once they get to that age of accountability, guess what? It's their choice. We have to make sure that they hear because we do not want to be we do not want to be like in judges when it said after Joshua died, the next generation didn't even know that Moses existed. They never heard of such a thing. And the reason because they weren't told. So it kind of steps us up and say, well, yeah, we can't just be lax about this. Well, you know, they're, they're children. The Lord will just take children. But there, there comes a time when children do know right from wrong. And from what they have heard from us, they make a choice to love Jesus or not. We are responsible, and I think a lot of our trouble in our schools and in our world today is because Christians were too lax, and we just kind of got too soft and not taken this seriously enough. Tell you, when sports gets ahead of Jesus, we did something wrong. And I do think that we we see this in our in our even in our. Christian Western Michigan today. So are we just going to let it go or are we going to stop it? Are we, are we so afraid that our children are going to roll their eyes at us? Are we so afraid that our grandkids are going to think, oh boy, she's a, who cares what they think? Down the, down the pike, they're going to realize that that was real love. I mean, of course, you don't, you don't be like last year with Proverbs. You don't, you're like a, a drippy faucet or something like that. But, but to be able to show them through your life and it, when the Lord shows you that you can bring up Jesus. Because, you know, why did this happen? Oh, it's because we've got a God that loves us. To be able to bring that up, to be able to give credit where credit is due. 
It is, it is time. In other, in other words, um, we cannot, we've got to take this seriously. I mean, hey, I am a fun grandma. Don't you doubt it for a second. I am a really fun grandma. And my seven grandkids would tell you that. But they also know that grandma loves them enough to, to not be afraid at all to talk about Jesus. And believe me, the Lord will give you opportunities. And so, you know, I know sometimes I was, you know, <laughs> I caught one of my grandsons rolling his eyes once. Caught him. And, um, and I just went and hugged him. I said, someday you're going to know that I was right. Someday you're going to know that it was because I love you so much that I did this. And he, he hugged me back. I mean, but you, you just, we just got to dare, you know, we just got to dare. We've got to pass this to the next generation or how are they going to know? So anyway, now Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod Magi. You know, I looked up that word Magi this week. And there wasn't any definition that was given other than referring to the three wise men at the time of Jesus' birth. I mean, there's no other definition. That's all they refer to. And you know, the more I studied this week, the more I realized that I have just so been programmed to believe what I was taught since I was a little kid. But who in the world were these men? Who in the world were these men? And we don't really even know how many. It doesn't say three. We just refer to three because of the fact that, that you know, we see the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, like, why would there be more? Because they didn't come with a gift. That's rude, you know. So we just automatically think that it's three. But we really don't know how many there are, and that's really immaterial. So why am I even bringing it up is because let's see how many other things we've just kind of preconceived or thought. These wise men, the, and, and they're called wise men because they're wise. And so that's why in your first question, I came, I came around and asked you, why do you think that they're called wise men? Why are they wise because they're they're seeking Jesus. They they are so now look at as I read this, see this is another thing I never caught before. It said, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Where did they learn that? Where did they know about that there was going to be one born king of the Jews? They are so wise. They must have heard, someone must have told, they must have read, and they chose to believe it. There's your reason why they're wise. They chose to believe it. And then another reason why they're wise is because when they chose to believe it, they chose to obey. Because a lot of this is just taken by faith. You know, I mean, he just... They just got up and, and went. And then look at what they said. We saw his star. 
So, you know, I, I don't know where these guys even come from. It just says from the east or whatever, but who knows who they are. They are very important in this story, and their wisdom is because they chose to believe it, even though it's so far-fetched, and they chose to obey when they were told, I mean, I, I think I, I will never look, when at Christmas time, I will never look at those wise men the same again. Because they knew. Did they understand it all? No, I'm sure not. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So there again, they, they're wise enough to know that he is worthy of worship. And you know, they had to be men of importance or, or of, of, of social status or of um, worth monetarily. I mean, and yet something inside of them caused, they were drawn to, to knowing about the king of the Jews. They were drawn to the, his star and they wanted to worship him. It's like they knew who he was. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So, I mean, news got out. See, this is my point from a little while ago. In towns like this, do you think that word doesn't get out? They're talking, they're, you know, it, it does get out. And so when, they, when, when the word got out, then King Herod, what did he do? He called all the, he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. King Herod, you know who he calls? He calls all those Jewish religious leaders and he wants to get to the bottom of this. He doesn't like this one bit. And why, why does he, he like this? All of a sudden he's getting nervous. You're talking about a king of the Jews? You're talking about someone that could very well, what, overthrow, overthrow him, push him off the throne? This is where the video is really good because, um, you know, it just kind of shows you the reality. You can just see it in his face. You can see him lying through his teeth. So he gathers all those knowledgeable Jewish religious leaders who should really know. It's almost like he didn't quite, you know, I don't, I don't understand what these, these three, what, what these wise men are talking about, so I know who to go to. So he brings them all together. And because they did know the Old Testament prophecy, they quoted, and here we, I mean, a very familiar verse from Micah, 5 verse 2 in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. You want to know, you want to know where this Christ is going to be born? Well, we know exactly where he's going to be born, in Bethlehem. Because the prophet wrote this, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are 
Oh, when you saw Land of Judah, did any of you think back of last week's lesson? And as you saw that Judah was in the line of Jesus and how, you know, of the 12 sons Judah was picked. How perfect. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, when you see that it is so clear, when the prophets made it so clear what to look for, the town to look for it in, the details of the prophecy, I mean, it's, it, it's all coming together, and yet... How come the Jews then, in the whole time Jesus lived, they were, they were the, those same people that said to King Herod, oh, let me tell you, he's, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to be the ruler. Um, he's coming out of the, the tribe of Judah, and they knew all their stuff. Now, how in the world can they be the ones that put Jesus to the cross? I mean, because they believed this prophecy in Micah, but in their physical eyes, they wanted to see a certain kind of ruler. I think they wanted to see someone like Herod the Great or, or Alexander the Great or somebody they wanted to see in, in, a Jewish, in a Jewish form. They wanted a Jew to be able to have that kind of stature and to be able to just make the Jews the people of the day, put Rome in their place. And so when Jesus was born the way he was born, when Jesus was raised the way he was raised, when Jesus taught the way he taught, I mean, you know, this is not at all what they wanted. And so right away, they just closed their mind off to saying, no, this is not it. So often, I think we perceive in, in what we want. I mean, you know, I think we do this when we pray to him and we, we have it perceived the way we want him to answer it. And we have it all perceived the way we want our lives to go. And when they don't go that way, we get confused. We get deluded. We, we almost, some even walk away from him and, because he didn't do it the way we want. But sometimes he does it so extraordinarily different than what we expected that we're not even seeing that he's given us an answer, an answer that is even better than what we could have wanted or that needed. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. What a liar. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, 
and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them. I'm telling you, I hope you underline that. I hope those, those three words came, went ahead of. I hope that came right out at you. That light, that light of that star went ahead and then what did they do? They followed. It went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Right there. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Tell you, I could not help but think about, and I, I never thought about that star before. This morning when I prayed for this morning, when I prayed this morning for this morning, I prayed that the Lord would get us beyond our, um, you know, our little Christmas story and see just how, how deep this goes. I mean, the fact about these wise men, and they were, they were willing to be wise in the Lord, to choose to believe and to, to obey when it didn't make sense. But they just chose to take a look at that star that was lighted up and went ahead of them. So when something is ahead of you, then what are you doing? Follow me. I quick, I quick flew into the Gospels. I went to, to one of the I Am's. I love going through the I Am's of Jesus and one of them. And you know what it is. I am the light of the world. And so where does, where does he want to be in our lives? Where, where, does, he, where does this light want to be in our lives? ahead of us so that we follow. In John 1 verse 4, this is what John says, in him, in, in Jesus was life and that life was the light of men. And then further in John 8, 12, I, Jesus says, I am the light of the world who Ever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. N nothing new. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything new. What I'm trying to get you to do is just stop a minute and think about how this all fits together. How Jesus is the capital L light of capital L life. And he wants to be like this star. He wants to be leading and guiding and he expects us to be following. Because where did this light take the wise men? Right to the right place. Light will always take you to the right place. I am the light of the world. You know, I don't know if you heard this this morning, but I was 
sometimes I have the news on when I get ready, and, and I am so grateful this morning that I did because um, three women were interviewed, three women that were a part of the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, when that young man came in and during their Bible study and just shot away and the pastor was killed and they had the minister's wife there. They had a mother whose son was killed. And, and they were talking about the fact that in the courtroom they stood up and they forgave. They forgave the man that took away these important people in their lives forgave and the question was asked how in the world could you do that and one of them and I thought but she was the Bible teacher because she said this she says we think that when we forgive we're, we're letting them off the hook but really, when we forgive, we're letting ourselves off the hook because we're letting, we're letting Jesus come in and take over so we can go on and keep moving forward. And then another one who laid herself over one of the children, she piped up and she said, it was it was just such a peaceful, believe it or not, in the middle of this chaos, there was a light in that church that we saw during the shooting, during the bloodbath, during all this, there was a light there. We have no doubt that that light was the presence of God. In that light, when we're following that light, when we see that light, when we choose to look at that light, I was thinking, and this is so simple, but when you turn the light on, when you turn the light, I mean, it helps you see better, obviously, but when you turn the light on outside, where do the bugs go? It seems like it's such a visual for us to see that it's all drawn to the light. And there's something about, and another thing, I had a gal come over yesterday, and she said, I just got to tell you about this experience that I had. And she was telling me, and she says, not everybody would understand this, but I know you won't laugh at me. She was talking about during a, a time that she had a, a terrible reaction to a medicine, and, and she passed out in that. And she said, there was a light and I was drawn to it, and never was I nervous, never was I afraid. She says, I was only 12, and I can still remember that light. I'm thinking, how for this lesson today, the Lord makes, has that lady come over and tell me about a time when she was 12, and she was drawn to that light, and she felt safe and secure there, that no matter what happened next, it was okay because she was, she was drawn to the light that kept her safe and secure. When I heard these women this morning, the very morning that we start this lesson, I'm thinking, oh, does the Lord love us or not? He's trying to get us to see how important his light is and how his presence is by us all the time and that we should be drawn to that light. And it is always ahead of us and we should be desiring to follow him. And that light will always take us to the right place. It did in Matthew 2, and it'll keep doing it to us, but we need to look at the light. We need to believe that it's the light. 
Then they opened their treasures. They came in and they started worshiping. And again, they had to know, here's this helpless child. I mean, he's, they, they didn't waltz into some castle and this king with a big crown is sitting on the throne. They're walking into a meager little <laughs> everyday home back then. And this child, whether he's between one and two, we don't really know the age, but it's a, it's a toddler. And so they're looking at this little toddler and they're worshiping him. They had to have known. They chose to believe and they worshiped him. And then they opened up their treasures and that, that they took from home. So again, they knew who they were coming to, and they brought three, and we know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I had you kind of take a look at, if you wanted to research it, you know, sometimes you find so much of your research, because I didn't know. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's enough to know that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but when you find out what they stand for, it's, it even means something. Like the gold, that's the medal of kings. And here you got a little, little baby here. And they're bringing him a gift because they know that it's the medal of kings. They know that he's the king. Frankincense is what the priests always use. And again, that represents Jesus, not only our king, but our, our priest, our, our high priest. And what is a priest? The go-between. <laughs> What did the priests in the Old Testament do? They were the go-between between the people and God. Not everybody could just go into the Holy of Holies, but the high priest once a year could go into that Holy of Holies, and the, he was the representation between God and the people. And what is Jesus for us between God and us? Jesus is the one that, Jesus, that God looks through to be able to see us, to welcome us into his presence. Jesus is the one that made a way so we could have that relationship back again. So appropriate. And then the myrrh, the myrrh. Boy, this really got me. I didn't know this. Myrrh is what they always use to embalm bodies. Huh, appropriate. The whole reason Jesus was coming so that he would die and sacrifice himself on our behalf. Very appropriate gifts when, you, when you're worshiping and giving them to a baby. Oh, I like these wise men. They knew and they weren't afraid. So when I asked you the question, why is it true that if you seek him, you will find him? And maybe I better ask, what is seeking him? You know, we can, we can just rattle that verse off. But what does seek mean? What does seek take? Effort. 
You got to seek. That means effort. That means work. That means time. That means commitment. That takes desire. Putting self aside. Seek is not an easy word. But the reward is if you seek them. And look at these men were willing to leave what was comfortable. They were putting their lives in the line, but they, they wanted to seek him. They, and what? They found him. Because how do you know? Why is it true that if you seek him, you will find him? In other words, you, you, make a, you read this chapter every, week, every day of the week. You do your lesson. You make yourself so acquainted with the chapter. And then you come here when you could probably do a hundred other things on Thursday morning. But you come here because why? You're seeking him. Because you know the more you seek him, the more you'll know him. And the more you know him, the more you'll have faith in him and surrender to him. And you'll become like him and you'll start looking like him. And there's every benefit from seeking. But when you seek, you will find. How do you know that? How do you know that that's true? If you seek, you'll find. Because that's good. I was so hoping that you wouldn't get so. I wanted a simple answer there. Because Jesus said it. He said it in Matthew 7, verse 7. We're going to get to it. We'll be getting to it in a few weeks. But Matthew 7, 7 says, Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. There's more to that verse, but we'll get into that in a few weeks. But how can you know that when you seek him, you put the effort, you put the work, you put the discipline in, you have a desire to want to know what can Jesus said, I guarantee you, I'll make it worth your while. None of this is a waste of time. And then you got to take a look a minute. You just got to take a look a minute at that man, Herod. What was his main problem? I mean, yeah, yeah, he was afraid he was going to be overthrown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But bottom root problem of Herod was what? Starts with an S. Self. There you go. Yep, self. There, you've been given an example of seeing what it looks like to be selfish. When self is on the throne and it's all about me, there you got it. And I'll tell you, what was his face like? I told you, a self-centered person is crabby. Their face is, is undesirable. There's no joy. And that's why they depicted it so good. The main problem of Herod was self. And then you see these wise men who are selfless. And it's all about who? Jesus. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, there again, the Bible doesn't tell us what country were they going to. You know what? All that's immaterial. 
I had a lady this week come up to me after, you know, the story of last week. And, and then she says, well, now, what do you think, Mary? Do you think what it felt like? Did you think she felt the flutter or when the Holy Spirit came on her? You know, do, do you think she, and she was asking me all these questions and I let her ask them. And I said, do you know what? Apparently the Lord said it's not important for us to know him. And apparently we better stick to what is in here, these words here that we do know, because to spend all the time on things we don't know is really a waste of time. Trying, you know, I did, and I wasn't, I wasn't cruel. It's just that sometimes, just think of how many times we spend on things that we don't know. We can question, we can guess, and we can do all this, but that's a waste of time. And we, you know what Satan is doing? Woohoo! God got them off the point. Get back to the point. So we don't know how many, we don't know what country, we don't even know what nationality they are, nothing like that. But apparently it doesn't matter. It's, it matters that these men chose to believe and chose to obey, chose to seek him, and they found him. And when you find Jesus, you can't help but worship him. So in question eight, uh, who were their ears tuned into in verse 12? And having been warned in a dream not to go back to air, they returned to their country another way. So where were their ears tuned? To God instead. You know, again, no other explanation. All the dream said was don't go back that way. They were warned not to go back that way. So I can't help but ask, where are our, where are our ears tuned? Who are we who is so willing to listen? Are you willing to listen to the truth of God's word when the Holy Spirit wants to tell you? That's, that's the one thing I learned in Proverbs. We've got two ears, and we've got the Spirit talking to us in one ear, and we've got self talking to us in the other ear. And it's our choice which ear we're going to listen to. So, their ears were tuned. Where do I want to tune in my ears? Whose voice do I want to hear? Let me just tell you, though, and you say, well, I don't know if I know the voice of God. You will learn. You know, the more you want to hear his voice, believe me, you will hear it. You will know. And let me just tell you that his voice will never, ever contradict Scripture. It will never, ever do that because these are his, this is his voice in a whole nother way, but he will never contradict. So you can say, well, God told me that it's okay for me to do that. No, if the Bible says, no, his voice, your wrong voice, wrong voice. And that's important. I'm glad that I know that too, that because, you know, a lot of times, you know, what voice, well, you know what? always his his voice will always say what he what he said in his word you know and he and you know what what else his voice will do i'm just going to warn you his, his voice will clash with you it will clash with your flesh because your flesh is going to want something other but you better just know his voice will clash with your flesh And you know what else about his voice? It never shouts. 
No, his voice doesn't scream at you. Oh, let me tell you, what voice does scream at you? What voice is so loud that you just can't help but hear it? But you know, you gotta wanna hear the voice of God's spirit because he doesn't shout. But who does shout in your ear? The enemy using you. Telling, telling you, well, you have every right to be mad about that and not to forgive. You have every right to hold that against them. Absolutely. You need to let them hurt the way they hurt you. Oh, that's what we want to hear. That voice is so loud, believe me, you don't have to work at hearing it because it will be there. But you have to want to hear. Like what that woman said this morning when she said, Jesus said that if we don't forgive, we will not experience forgiveness. Mm. So he will never shout. He will be quiet. He will be clear. <laughs> Believe it or not, his word is clear. I, I'm still in the black and white version. I still think that his word is black and white. But I'm telling you, there's so many churches today. There's so much of the world today that it's just, well, you know, there's no absolutes anymore. There, everything's great and all that kind of stuff. That's a bunch of malarkey. Because God's words is black and white. His voice is clear. His principles are clear. We just don't want to do them. So we just kind of muddy it up, making it gray to appease. So if your ears are tuned in to him, you will hear. But you have to want it. That's why the first week I ended with that, and I'll keep bringing it up. Do you, really, do you really want to be healed? Do you really want this Bible study to do something in you? Do you really want to become Christ-like? Do you really want to be transformed into his likeness? It's possible a little bit more every day as you get into his, and you want to hear his voice, and you want to hear him teach you. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Joseph is another, we talked a little bit about it, you know, last week, why were Mary and Joseph picked of all the men and women of the Jews waiting for hundreds of years, and yet Mary and Joseph were picked, and they had the heart again, they had the belief, they had the obedience, they took their belief and turned it into obedience, and that's what real belief is. That's why the belief of the, the demons, when, when James says even the demons believe, well, what's the difference between their belief and our belief? Well, their belief doesn't go anywhere. Our belief gets kicked into action, and it, and it eventually changes us. We follow our belief with action. Now, look, look what happened with Joseph here. He gets the word of the Lord coming to him, now, he believes. Now, how do you know that his belief is from the depths of his soul, that he's got the real kind of belief? Because what? It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Verse 14, so what? He got up. See, he took his belief and he put it into action. 
He listened to the voice and he got up. A lot of times the Lord is speaking to us and, and down deep, I think we do know it, but we don't want to put it into action because it's going to, um, it's not always easy to, to be obedient to his voice because especially in the more grounded you are into this world. Because it's, when God tells you to do something, it's going to make you be set apart. It's going to maybe make you look different. It's going to, and that's why I said a little while ago, so what? Are we more concerned about what people think than making sure they know? And that's a big question, and only you can answer that. What do we know about what the... The Lord will never call us to talk to somebody, to go someplace, be something. I mean, he will never call us to a job for himself without giving us what? Everything we need. But see, you have to believe it enough to be obedient, to be able to find out that that's true. You'll find that the words come, the tone comes. The Holy Spirit is doing his job just like he promised he would do. And we'll get more into that later about how the work of the Holy Spirit is just right there to help us every step of the way. But do we believe him enough? Are we willing to step aside enough to let him do his job through us? I always say he just wants to borrow your body. He'll do the work. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt and where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea 11.1. 1. I'm just having a ball with this. I'll look it up. I'm going to see. Sure enough, Hosea, the hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the prophet Hosea, right in, right in verse 1 of chapter 11, says those exact words. Hmm. When Herod realized, oh, I was going to ask you, I, I, well, how did you answer that question, number nine? If you do not, if you do not want to or do not understand... Is that your excuses usually? Does the Lord expect anything but obedience? Does the Lord expect anything but obedience? You did not need a lot of white space to answer that. Right? No. He expects nothing less than obedience. Now, what did Joseph's obedience, how did jo that, Joseph's obedience, how did that pay off? Did you understand what it's saying? By him obeying, by going to Egypt, and then knowing the next verses that are coming, what did Joseph's obedience do? Save Jesus. Hmm. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, woohoo! Because they believed and they obeyed and they 
dared put their life on the line and they knew what was right and what was wrong and they made the choice to do what was right. But he was furious and, when, and he gave orders to kill all the boys of Bethlehem in his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from Magi. I've watched that so many times, but every time it gets there, I have to make myself look because it's just too hard. I have a year and a half old grandson that we, he, he's a little trailer, and I'm telling you, he is, the, he is the apple of his grandpa's eye, but I love that kid to pieces, and I could not help, and I think the Lord wanted me to, to have me take a look and see. The, we just read this story. But if you're a mom, if you're a grandma, and you have a child that's between that age, and you watch that happen, I watched that mother try to flee going up those steps. Ugh. You talk about what a self-centered man, look at what eventually does, that you can make a decree like that and kill innocent little boys like that? You think self isn't dangerous? Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Do you know something interesting? Remember in the first week, I said that, you know, what, what traumatic experience caused Matthew to, to just veer off course? I mean, to basically deny God and go into the most hated profession of the Romans, of the Jews, a Roman job. He took a Roman job. I mean, you talk about a, a punch in the gut to the Jews when he took the job to be a, a Roman tax collector. You know, something dramatic had to have happened. And I, and I just brought up that maybe Matthew had a little brother. And he witnessed that. How often don't we see God not come through or we see violence or, you know, we see things that, well, well, why didn't God do this? Why didn't God stop it? Why didn't God, you know? And I'll tell you, if you don't seek him and go to his word, and, and get to know his character and get to know his black and white principles. You can get deluded with God and that people do and they walk away from him and say, I want no part of him. Do you know that Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, is the only one of the gospels that brings this up? So I, I don't know. I'm just saying that, you know, it, it probably was something traumatic. But this instance is very traumatic. Idea that this cold-hearted man, just for the sake of himself and the worry about himself, he could do that. And, and so then, out, here, comes, here comes Jeremiah 31.15. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I've read that many times, and I don't know. I just didn't think it was that big a deal. I just read the prophecy, but that prophecy is really something. At this time, you know, there's something about it this time. I'm going, I'm, I want to find, I've got questions, and I know this book's got the answers. 
And so instead of just, if, if a question comes up in my mind, I'm not just going to say, oh, well, you know, I want to go digging. And I went back to Genesis 30, and I saw that Rachel, because I'm, I'm thinking, why Rachel? Why did the prophets bring, bring up Rachel? She was, she was the favorite wife, obviously, of Jacob. However, you know, Leah is the one that Jesus' line came through. And so I'm thinking, why is Rachel picked? And so I went back to Genesis 30, and when they were on, on route, when Jacob's family was on route from Ramah to Bethlehem, Rachel had Benjamin. But she was going to be, but she was going to die of childbirth. So the, the midwife said to her, just, uh, we want you to know that you are going to have a son. So in the middle of this horrendous loss of Rachel dying in childbirth, the hope was, there's a hope of a future because you're going to have a little boy that's going to live. Okay, then I went to where this came from also, from Jeremiah. This quote was in Jeremiah 31, 15, this exact quote. And I looked at what, what was going on with the kingdom of Judah. Now, just, just a little review, that Israel got so terribly bad. I don't know how else to put it. God's chosen people, can you imagine? But time and time again, they chose to, to disobey and to serve other gods and all that. And Israel, right after Solomon and all that chaos of, of Solomon and, and that the kingdom, of, the kingdom of Israel, Israel, the Israel nation as we know it, split. Did you know that there was civil war? Civil war in, the king, in Israel. And they divided into two kingdoms. The kingdom of, of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And if you look at maps, you will see that, that you know, and if you, you study it, that after Solomon, this nation split in two, so there was two kingdoms. Now, the kingdom of Israel had, had most, it had ten of the tribes. The kingdom of Judah it was just a small little one, and it had only two tribes, Judah and, and Benjamin. Now, you and I know why the kingdom of Judah was spared. Now, I'll tell you, what happened was the kingdom of Israel, even though it was the biggest, had not one leader, not one king that was good, not one king. So God took this whole kingdom of Israel and brought them into captivity into Assyria. The Assyrians came and took them. Never to have them return again. Well, the kingdom, of, the kingdom of Judah, as small as it was, they too, they had a couple good kings, but not many. But they too were warned by the prophets, by, by Jeremiah was one of the best prophets of that time, trying to get them to see and to repent and to see their ways. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because he tried and he tried and he tried and they just wouldn't listen. And so what happened was God says to Jeremiah, you tell them I'm taking them into captivity too. 
Babylon's going to come in and we're going to take them into captivity. But you also tell them that in 70 years, after they wake up and they realize, because, you know, sometimes the Lord's got to grab us around the neck and he'll do whatever he has to do when we, when we veered off course. He said, in 70 years, I want you to tell them that I will bring them back to Jerusalem. And that's where Jeremiah 29 comes, for I have plans for them. Plans that will prosper them and give them a future. This small kingdom of Judah had to get back to Jerusalem because of why? The promise to bring Jesus. So they had a 70-year timeout to get him woken up, to get him strained around. And in 70 years, a small group, and I mean small group, were willing to come back to broken, destroyed Jerusalem to rebuild it. Jesus will always have a people. And through it all, even, even through this, so and why is this in Jeremiah 31 is because, why is this quote in Jeremiah 31 is because it was such a sad time for that kingdom of, of, of Judah because they were taken off into captivity. So there was great weeping. But also because there's going to be a hope. The hope, they still had hope because they were going to be brought back and the line would continue. After I looked at those two, I thought, oh, I wonder why Matthew used this quote, but look at the horrendous weeping. So, yes, the horrendous weeping when Rachel died in childbirth, but look, there was a son. The horrendous weeping in the people of Israel, in the kingdom of Judah, when they got hauled off to Babylon. But the hope is, in 70 years, you'll be brought back. Because I have plans for you. And here, what a horrendous time it is that, that these boy children were being slaughtered. Can you imagine the weeping that was going on in that little town of Bethlehem and in the vicinity around? But the hope is in the, very, in, the, in the very next verse. The hope is that Jesus is alive. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. And for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Now this was something because I wanted to find out, okay, which prophet said that one? And no prophet, there was no prophet that really said he will be called a Nazarene. So I thought, well, why, why did he say? The other ones 
it said profit. There was a distinct time where one prophet said the quote. But if you saw that there was not a specific prophet that said the quote that G, that he will be called the Nazarene, you will see that it said that so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. All the prophets talked about Jesus being lowly, and Nazareth couldn't have been more lowly. Do you remember? Do you remember when Jesus walked this earth? They said, "Can anything good?" come out of Nazareth. So it just helps to know these things that see the prophets even knew that Jesus was going to be different than what they expected. He wasn't going to be Alexander the Great. He wasn't going to be like this. He was going to be lowly and he was going to come from a place. First of all, Bethlehem, there was going to be, he was going to be in Egypt for a while. And then he was going to land and grow up in a place called Nazareth. Really, can anything good come out of that place? See, Jesus just wanted to make sure that people knew him for who he was, not for always what we want him to be in our life. Father, thank you for this lesson. Father, we just praise you for just really making this one chapter to take root in our hearts. And may we not be the same because we were here this morning. And we'll give you honor and glory for how you want to just not take, take, us, take us the way we are. Yes, you will take us the way we are, but you are not content to let us stay there. You want your word to start chipping away at that self and that old nature so that we rise up, that we believe enough to obey, and then watch you do wonders through our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' precious, holy name. Amen.